Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program. Thank you for joining us. Um, each week I invite a, a guest to join me to discuss a verse they never saw. In other words, uh, that's the format we're doing on this program uh, during this season. Verses that uh, they may be, uh, they may themselves have been very aware and uh, great students of Scripture, but the guests are asked to choose a, a verse that either they were aware of but didn't quite see what it was trying to say, or maybe a verse they never remembered. That's the way it was with me in my own journey into the church. And so our guest for today's program is a great pleasure. I'm inv invited back Father Paul Key. Father Paul and I go back quite a ways, back before he was father. He Actually, he and his wife, uh, Pat, sponsored my wife Marilyn and I into the Catholic Church when we came in. He had entered into the church just a year before me. His background and mine are very similar. Father Paul Key, like I was, he was a, a Presbyterian pastor. He and his wife Patricia both graduated from McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago, and he served as a pastor in the Chicago area for 19 years. He served as a Presbyterian missionary in Caracas, Venezuela, where he learned Spanish, taught English as a foreign language. And then after entering the Catholic Church on Easter 1992, Father Paul received a licentiate in sacred theology from l'Institut de Today Theologique in Brussels, Belgium. Father Paul, you can straighten me out on that when you come on the line. Back in September 97, he's taught chemistry and physics. He's done a lot of different things, but uh, most recently... Uh, he received the dispensation from uh, the Vatican, and through his seminary studies, he was eventually ordained a priest in the Diocese of Tyler, where he serves as a priest chaplain for Mother Francis Hospital. He and Patricia have two sons and a foster daughter and 12 grandchildren, so Father Paul is very busy, and he's a great friend, uh, and it's great to have him on the show. Let me remind you, We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to give us a call about any of the questions that we're discussing today. You can do so at 800-664-5110 or 740-450-1175. Or you can send me an email at radio at chnetwork.org. Our regular email is having a bit of a problem. If you write me at marcus at deepinscripture.com, I may not receive it, but write me at radio at chnetwork.org. chnetwork.org is our regular website. We also have deepinscripture.com website, which if you go to, you'll see the scripture that Father Paul has chosen for today, as well as you can watch this program on video from our studio here near Zanesville. Now, Father Key gave actually a long list of scriptures that he suggested. I'm going to have to have him back because we certainly couldn't cover them all in one program. But he chose a, a, a wonderful set of, of scriptures from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 27. I'm actually going to read on through verse 29. But these particular verses are very significant and and. and I recognize, especially from uh, Paul's and my background, 
from a Presbyterian Calvinist background that we didn't always look as closely at the significance of what these verses were saying. And so let me read those verses. We'll take a break, and then Father Paul Key will join us after the break. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and bent, beat upon that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing me on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on Life on the Rock. There's a role that only a father can fill and gifts only a father can give. But what is fatherhood and why is it so important in our culture today? Tune in when Brian Caulfield joins Doug and Father Mark to talk about Fathers for Good. That's on the next Life on the Rock, only on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. And uh, you're coming to us over EWTN, and you're from the studios at the offices of the Coming Home Network International in Zanesville, Ohio. Joining me today on the program is an old friend, Father Paul Key. Hello, Father Paul, you there? Yes, I am. I don't know how to say this over the radio, Father Paul, but it is, first of all, so great for you and I to talk. It's been a couple years. Yes, it has, and I... I got down here to the Diocese of Tyler and got involved in seeking the priesthood, and that has taken a lot of energy and time. Well, I'm not casting any uh, aspersions or guilt. It's me, too. 
I'm up here in Ohio, you're down there in Texas, we just don't seem to connect, but I mean, I, we shouldn't be just talking about old times here <clears> on the radio, <throat> but I, I want to say that it's, I'm amazed as when I think over the last, uh, how many years, you know, that's, uh, it'll be 17 years ago in about two weeks when you and your wife Patricia sponsored Marilyn and I mm-hmm. into the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that time of year. And it was yes. also about, uh, I don't know, about 19 years ago or so when you and I first bumped into each other in a class at Franciscan where you were on your way into the church. That is correct. So it's great to to uh, just reconnect. Uh, it's also hard for me to call you Father Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard, but it's just awkward. I, I keep forgetting to add that little title in front, but it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. And uh, and just to make sure the audience knows, you, Father Paul has been involved with scripture, scripture forever. And even when you went all the way over to Belgium and, and studied, it, it was basically scripture and theology and how you live it out. Yep. And that's, I know especially, and, and you might want to say this to the audience, because I know a big emphasis for so long for you has been not just living it out, but particularly living it out in marriages and families. Well, that is correct. Uh, I got a really good foundation for that uh, when I was Presbyterian. Uh, got involved in marriage enrichment and uh, marriage preparation. It's become a, a very great concern for me. Uh, yep. I'm able now to be able to teach both uh, in English and in Spanish. And uh, one of my favorite classes to do is that of marriage enrichment, which we also use for marriage preparation. Uh, so that people can have a great marriage. Mm. It also helps to be married to a saint, and my wife, Patricia, fits that category. <laughs> uh, well, she was the one who was Catholic first, because that's, uh, that's her background. And yes. I, and I know that uh, she very patiently uh, encouraged you during the time you were both in seminary together, Protestant seminary together. That's correct. That, but she, uh, uh, she has always been a great support to you in your discerning of your call. But all that aside, you and I can, can catch up on that another time. Uh, you chose this particular scripture, Paul, from Matthew, and we're going to dig into it in a moment. But in general, was this a verse that back when you were Presbyterian you didn't quite see clearly? Well, I chose it because uh, when I was really in my evangelical phase, and I consider the evangelical part of Protestantism to be a very, very important part and a very spiritual part of yeah. Protestantism. Yeah, probably the strongest. And I, I really think so. But this is one of the places where I think there is a, a weakness. And I remember so much the, um, the three solas, mm-hmm. uh, sola scriptura, sola fides, and sola gratia, which sola fides meant we are saved by faith and not by works. At least that's the way I understood it yep. And when I went to conferences. And as uh, Professor Scott Hahn has said, sooner or later your philosophy catches up with you. <laughs> and if we follow that line of thought too long, we think we're just saved by, by a one-time profession of faith, perhaps. And therefore we lose the concern for the kind of response to grace which Scripture calls for, and the importance of dealing with sin in our lives and a continual practice of uh, repentance and confession. Um, that's really why I chose mm-hmm. this passage. The Matthew 7 passage was in front of my noses, my, in front of my nose all the time. 
But it wasn't until I got to the James 2, 14 through about 26, where James says of thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that's pretty clear. But Jesus really says the same thing here when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that, to me, really, and that, that's the point of building one's house on the rock. Mm-hmm. Building one's house on the rock is not building one's house on the Bible or on the Word of God, but it is on, and not even building it on Jesus, but on obedience to Jesus. Yeah, you know, I want I remember Paul that back when I was an evangelical also and um I actually was uh, kind of a born again evangelical in my early 20s. Uh I didn't become a Presbyterian until after seminary, but very influenced in Calvinism when I was at seminary. And my understanding of salvation and I I wonder if you, you went to a different seminary than I did and and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more to the left than mine, mm-hmm. though you weren't probably to the left. But my understanding of salvation was that when I die, it kind of in the evangelization explosion questions, you know, God's going to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? And, and my answer was to point to Jesus. So in other words, I def- I'm deflecting his attention to me and to my imperfections, because I certainly am a sinner, as Luther would have emphasized, and so I would point to Jesus in his holiness as if, therefore, God would not see mine. And that was that extrinsic way of understanding justification Mm -hmm. so that it was pointing to Jesus. And my point of mentioning this, Father Paul, is that's why I didn't know how to deal with this passage. Mm. because I love Jesus, I'd surrendered to Jesus, I sought to follow him and teach him. I mean, I'd given up my entire career to go to seminary, to be a pastor, and so I would assume, of course, that if I, when I died, he would know me, but the question is, then, I'm, then what happens is, as, as evangelicals, and you remember as a pastor, isn't this true, Father? Young people are always asking you, how do I know if I'm doing God's will? Yeah. Well, I would would start it out really as a, I was a kind of a Presbyterian. I was really kind of ignorant. And I, first of all, picked up on the doctrine of predestination. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. And we hope to be amongst the chosen. And our task is to make our calling and election sure. And so we kind of watched to see what would happen in our lives, and I did not understand the role of decisions. Then when I got exposed to the evangelical movement, which helped me just call people to Christ, because before that I had the feeling that I was leading, and very successfully leading, a kind of a religious country club where we came together and did the right things, but I never called people to a commitment to Jesus. Then... And I got really excited when I became evangelical under the leadership of some people in the Presbyterian Church who helped me understand that. And the first three people I led to Christ were in tears. I mean, just joy. Um, That was very powerful. But then the issue of response left me confused because the 
the necessity of response, and I think I see it now, especially because I, as a priest, uh, participate in the sacrament of confession. Um, you know, we really do have to confess our sins. First mm-hmm. John 1, uh, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and we are strangers to the truth. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every kind of wrong. Now I, now I see that lived out every day and every week. Uh, but that, the function of that, for me in my evangelical position, just didn't make sense. It was like unnecessary. Yeah, it would seem to me, when I look back through my evangelical eyes, looking at this scripture, trying to remember how I looked at mm-hmm. it through even, that it would, I would have thought that anyone that I knew who would turn to God and say, Lord, Lord, and who <clears throat> literally was open to prophecy, you know, was open to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, casting demons out of people, uh, who mm-hmm. were committed to doing mighty works in his name, anyone like that would have been someone that surrendered to Jesus. That's right. And so if they had surrendered to Jesus, yet Jesus saying, not everybody who, quote, surrenders to me, in essence. Or at least says the right words. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I did not know how to really, uh, you know, I, I, if any evangelicals listen, listening, I'm not trying to belittle evangelicalism by any means. But as Father Paul is getting us to in this radio program, this connection between our surrendered by faith to Jesus and how we live our life in holiness mm-hmm. was a disconnect for me in the past. That's correct. And for me, it's become just painfully clear uh, being a chaplain here in the hospital, and I relate to many people, and I consider uh, those people of the evangelical and the Baptist tradition among my most important friends, supporters. We work together on moral and spiritual matters. And I think there's a problem because many times... I'll be dealing with a person who is dying or who has died. And the friends will say, and this person has maybe had a really nasty life and never did what you and I would understand to be repenting of sin or coming mm-hmm. back to God or confessing any sin. But the family will say, well, I think sometime back there, sometime when he was young, he really committed himself to Christ, and therefore I know that he's going to be in heaven. And... It seems to me that that gets awfully close to the cheap grace which Dietrich Bonhoeffer criticized in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, and that's why I sent you that whole list, yeah. it was two pages of citations with mm-hmm. the quotes, uh, after becoming Catholic and perhaps being more freed to see the need for our response, um, I think I see how in Scripture we're called on or we must make a response to the gift of God's grace. For example, I think the parable of the talents is an excellent statement of the position, the Catholic position of the need to cooperate with the grace of God. Uh, we, cannot be, we cannot save ourselves. That would be the heresy of Pelagianism. Uh, God gives us his grace freely, just like he gave the talents to the men in the 
uh, parable of the talents. But then it's made very clear you have to do something with whatever the Lord gave you. And the man who buried the talent, he actually kept it safe and handed it back. Yep. <laughs> he was condemned because he didn't do anything with it. <laughs> yep. And I, I didn't, until I became Catholic, parables like that and passages like that, even the one that immediately follows it, was an enigma to me because it didn't make sense theologically. In the vision of the Last Judgment, nothing is said about faith but service to others. And it's that that gains the salvation. In fact... Um I'm going to read you a list of things, Paul, in mm-hmm. a second here. I'm trying to find them on my computer because mm-hmm. we didn't have these when we were Presbyterians. But they're things that the church has always emphasized mm-hmm. as a description of how we are to live. Mm-hmm. And I've just about got them up here as I'm going through what I'm looking at. I just recently taught these to my class at Franciscan. And they're... Um, the seven corporal works of mercy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the seven spiritual works of mercy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to read those. And what I want you to talk about in relation to this text, I want to say, what's the big deal about works? Why were we so set against these things? I mean, the seven corporal works of mercy are feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, bury the dead, and then the seven spiritual works of mercy are counsel the doubtful, instruct the ignorant, admonish sinners, comfort the afflicted, forgive offenses, bear wrongs patiently, pray for the living and the dead. I mean, basically, what the church is saying is that is what faith is. Well, that's right. I I really think that a lot of the reason why the evangelicals have have pointed uh, and criticized the role of works is because we as Catholics have not been oriented to our having our faith put in Jesus, but have been perhaps caught up in doing things without really recognizing the lordship or the kingship of Jesus. There you go. Yeah. Or to do them as external things for appearance. And you and I both know some of the history of some of yeah. the corruption and the misuse in the church. Uh, one of the most healthy things I think has happened uh, since the Vatican Council, and especially since the uh, the presentation of the new catechism, is that we as Catholics do and should talk about developing our personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we could do a lot of things on our own strength and want to be recognized for certain things, but never really being submissive or humbly under the guidance of Jesus. And I think that's caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. You know, this, uh, the seven corporate works of mercy, it just as you've said, you could envision somebody doing all these things. Mm-hmm. In fact, not just doing them, but doing them regularly, faithfully, and yet mm-hmm. in the process, not knowing Jesus, feeding the hungry, mm-hmm. tr- giving drink to the thirsty, mm-hmm. clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting mm-hmm. the sick. Mm-hmm visiting the imprisoned, burying the dead, and not knowing him. That's right. In fact, let's take a break, Father Paul. We come back. Actually, I'd like you to focus on that very simple phrase that Jesus says, the, the, the crucial phrase that probably startled his listeners when he says in verse 23, I never knew you. 
Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that when we come mm-hmm. back from the break. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by good friend, Father Paul Key. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined this afternoon by Father Paul Key. Let me remind you of those phone numbers in case you'd like to give us a call, 800-664-5110. Or you can always call us at 740-450-1175. That's the phone number for the Coming Home Network International. Or you can give me an email today, radio at chnetwork.org. Father Paul, I mentioned before the break this this really startling phrase. And again, let me just for someone that just might have tuned in, let me remind them that Jesus is talking about on that day, meaning judgment. On the day we stand before Jesus. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and that they list all the things they did for him. And then Jesus says, but I never knew you. Talk about that. Well, I think your highlighting of that verse with the word to know is is very fruitful. Because at least in its Hebrew antecedents, to know someone was to have a very intimate relationship, a very close relationship with them. As a matter of fact, it would indicate uh, sexual relations between a man and his wife. Mm -hmm. And so there Jesus, although the language is not used of having a personal relationship with Jesus, that is exactly what he's pointing to, is that close personal relationship. Uh, let me add um, another very influential part of my journey was the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, yes. whom I learned from uh, an outstanding Jesuit retreat master. And I even have written a little manual, uh, an eight-day manual, 40-page thing for how to actually go through the spiritual exercises in the way that Ignatius wanted his people to think through them. And my goodness when you get done doing a spiritual exercise under the guidance of St. Ignatius of Loyola, meditating or contemplating on a certain aspect of the life of Jesus or a truth of the Christian faith, you are really in a personal relationship. Uh, I looked at that after I started attending those retreats, and I just said to myself, you know, a Catholic has such an incredible opportunity to develop a very, very in-depth relationship with Jesus using tools like the sacraments 
or the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. That's why the early uh, Jesuits went out with the most incredible sacrifice of their lives, because they had that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this... Uh, Paul, I've, I know I've said this on the radio program, but one of the, the verses I never saw mm-hmm. that awakened me to the church in my journey was, on the one hand, John 15, where it says that we are to abide in him. Mm-hmm. And this intimacy of abiding, yes. continuing, is another word that would be like knowing him. Yep. That's right. And what I discovered, who knows, might have been you that pointed this out back when I was still considering the Catholic Church, but that the only place Jesus ever says how to abide in him mm-hmm. is John 6, mm-hmm. where it says, if you eat my body and drink my blood, I will abide in you and you and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This intimacy that we have in the sacraments. Now, let me ask you this. Yes. You're a Catholic priest now. Yep. You used to be an evangelical. Yep. Can we truly know Jesus apart from his church and the sacraments? I don't think as deeply. Uh, The thing that really addressed me when I started studying the sacraments is that any time we receive sacraments, we make promises to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Most of the sacraments, like I think of the sacrament of baptism, where we reject uh, the, the temptations of the flesh, the world, and the devil, and we affirm our faith, that's really, really clear. Most of the sacraments have a time when we commit ourselves to Jesus in terms of very specific commitments. Uh, Maybe we don't see that as clearly in the Eucharist and the Mass. St. Justin Martyr, around 155 A.D., said that Christians literally every Sunday promised to Jesus not to sin. And that is, of course, what we do when we come to Mass, enter into confession. And so we're making promises to Jesus that are personal and have to do with very specific kinds of... It's not a general, just I believe in you and I accept you as my Lord and Savior, but it has to do with some very specific things. Um, You can get to know Jesus, I think, well in the evangelical church, but not as deeply, not as specifically, and not as clearly. And I might add, not as certainly. Ooh. I would agree. And and that's why I am so committed to evangelizing, not just those mm-hmm. who've never heard of Jesus, but those who are outside the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, this passage gets us there, uh, Father Paul, because it, it, let me set you another scenario with this mm-hmm. passage, mm-hmm. all right? This appears at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. And the Sermon on the Mount is essentially Jesus giving in detail the new law. That's correct. Giving in detail. If you ask the question, well, how do I do the will of the Father? Jesus says, here it is, the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. And he gives this three chapters worth, how to pray, how to fast, Mm -hmm. how to give alms. Mm -hmm. This is how you do the will of the Father. Yes. Interestingly, the context here is, here comes some people along that say, Hey, wait, we prophesied in your name. We cast mm-hmm. out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And it's almost as Jesus said, weren't you listening to me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and I'm, the context I want to push you on, Father, is that this is as if people, rather than listening to Jesus, decided to define for themselves what mm-hmm. their religion will be. Mm-hmm. And that's why 
in my view, apart from the sacraments of the church, apart from the church, we have people that have basically decided they're going to establish for themselves what is important and what isn't. Well, isn't that why we understand the role of the magisterium of the church to be so important? Yes. Uh, and was it First Peter something something verse twenty? The interpretation of Scripture is yeah. never a matter of individual interpretation, mm-hmm. but a matter of being guided by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Spirit was given to the Church, uh, and therefore, I think we always have to be turning back to look at the historical faith, the historical interpretation, and not be busy constructing kind of in a uh, egocentric or personal centric way what I think. And I, uh, let me say something, I don't want to be too critical here, because we really <laughs> affirm the faith and the participation of our brothers and sisters in the Protestant Church, and right. I was there, and I know people were saved and came to the Lord then. Yep. Yep. Uh, at the same time, I've heard the number of something, there's something like 25,000 different Protestant denominations. Mm-hmm. How can you have so many denominations unless you have individual people thinking, I am right, or I don't want to cooperate with somebody else? That means I don't want to have fellowship, koinonia, which is the same word that is used for communion. Um, see, this to me, the Catholic Church is the place where all these words come together with their meaning, and the practice in the Church and the understanding of the faith is all harmonious and fits together. I think it would, I mean, I don't know that you, well, let me ask you this. When you were a Presbyterian, did you believe that Jesus established a church as the <clears throat> necessary pillar and foundation of truth, as a necessary channel through, through which we receive the graces that enable us to be saved? That's a really good question. Um, I think I did, but I think I had a much vaguer sense of church. Okay. Uh, we would talk about the invisible church, and like the invisible church was really the spiritual church. Mm-hmm. And then I heard a quote from D.T. Niles, the uh, great evangelist from Ceylon, Sri Lanka, who also said when criticizing that position, invisible brides are of no use. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the reason I say that, Paul, then they let me... We had this view of the invisible church, which mm-hmm. you couldn't put your hands on. You couldn't grasp it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even say who was in it. That's John Calvin, clearly. Only yep. God knows. Mm-hmm. So for you, was it basically back to just, just Jesus and me? Well, to me as a history major, it was never just Jesus and me. Okay. Because I, and I think part of the, val- the validity of the scholarship, at least in the Presbyterian Church, and I think of the mainline churches, was that they understood that this is not just a matter of individual decision. Each of the, like the Presbyterian Church, had its book of confessions. Uh, In theory, Scripture was the foundation, and the book of confessions was the way in which it was to be interpreted. Unfortunately, during the period of time, at least, in which you and I were active, uh, that was kind of jettisoned and it, and matters of interpretation of morals and biblical theology really did become uh, matters of individual assertion or political assertion. And yeah. I think that really hurt many of the mainline churches. Well, let me ask you this then. Talk about <clears throat> Lord, Lord, do you know me or not? Mm-hmm. Excuse me, you and I were ordained 
as Presbyterian pastors in the mm-hmm. same denomination. Mm-hmm. We won't mention that. But right. I think you're aware that a couple years ago at their gathering in the summer, they decided that being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not the only way, but that now you can be baptized in the name of the mother, the daughter, and the womb as one of six possibilities in that old denomination that we were in. That seems like you've drifted away or specifically rejected the biblical guidelines. Yeah, I mean, that's... And the historical guidelines. You're letting culture define what's true rather than holding on to, as Paul says, the traditions that you receive from the beginning. That's right, or pagan traditions. Yeah. Well, and that's that's really where I think, you know, St. Augustine said the chief sin really is pride. The correction to pride is humility. And to be submissive to the Word of God and to the historical guidelines of the Church and the Magisterium requires a lot of humility. And it requires, you know, being willing to engage and debate and discuss. There have been some really vigorous discussions within the Catholic Church on many issues. Um, But then we have to come back together under the under the wings, if you will, of the church, under the spirit, as opposed to doing crazy things. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you then, the the last section of the scripture that you chose, beginning with verse mm-hmm. 24 through the end, uh, has this uh, familiar story about a man building his house on a rock or on mm-hmm. the sand, mm-hmm. and the difference between the two was those who hear the words of Jesus Mm -hmm. and do them. Mm -hmm. Those who hear the words of Jesus and do them. Talk a little bit to our audience about that. How do you today, what should we do to hear the words of Jesus and do them? Wow. Um, First of all, how do you hear them? Well, I think first of all, you hear them through the preaching of the church. And it's going to be through the reading of the scriptures and the authoritative teaching of the church. One of the things I really like about being a Catholic priest is I am never to speak on my own. I am always to represent the truth of the church. And that is through the catechism, through the encyclicals, through the historical teaching. Uh, I think we have to look, and I I guess I'm going to have to say you really have to do it through the Catholic church, because I think the Catholic church is the only place where it has really systematically been kept and guarded, the gospel and the teachings of the Lord. There's been tremendous effort to make the teachings of the Church uh, really follow the guidelines of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we have to go to a place where that is faithfully preached, taught, and lived out. You know, I would say, Father Paul, that I mean, that's why you and I became Catholic. I mean, you mentioned a little while ago that in the United States, you know, there's a list of thousands of independent groups of Christians, denominations, and actually that comes from a Protestant source. Mm -hmm. You know, this issue of hearing Jesus, of being certain that you're hearing them. I mean, let me ask you, do you ever go through the phase where you had a a wristband that had WWJD question mark on it? No, I never wore one of those. But But you know what we're talking about. Well, yes, I do. And I, I remember even out of the classical Greeks, Plato said... The only person who can really understand the good is one who is doing the good. (laughs) 
And uh, John Henry Newman said the same thing about the Catholic Church. He said, there were some things I could not and was not free to understand until I had become Catholic. Uh, If what Plato said, good Greek here, I'm not being biblical, uh, but if, boy, it's interesting. Have you read that book, Degenerate Moderns? No, I haven't. By uh, Ignatius Press has put it out, I think it's E. Michael Jones. It documents a number of the greatest intellectuals of our day and how their interpretation of truth was skewed by their own personal sin, and the use of their intellectual powers became used to justify themselves instead of seeking truth. Uh, I think our defense mechanisms, and I once uh, saw a list of 19 different psychological defense mechanisms that we use to justify ourselves. Um, Which in the end, we could make Jesus say almost anything we want him to say. Well, that's right. And therefore, I think to really be able to hear Jesus is not a point answer, but a process answer. Mm. Uh, We have to be in an environment, biblical and spiritual, where we are really hearing and then growing into, in which our habits and our behavior, our virtues, uh, are leading us in the right way, which then through a confession of sin and getting rid of guilt gives us a greater freedom to be able to respond to the truth. And as we journey on that way, hopefully by the end of our lives, we have achieved a great deal of harmony and understanding with the Lord Jesus. Yeah, if you're apart from the Catholic Church, and again, you and I both have this Mm -hmm. background, what ends up happening, especially if you're working in a parachurch organization, which Mm -hmm. I did for a while, youth Mm -hmm. ministry organization, because you're working with a variety of Protestants from different backgrounds, pretty soon you have to narrow your focus on the least common denominators. Yeah, that makes it kind of shallow. So when it comes to pro-life issues mm-hmm. or uh, d- doctrinal issues or ecclesiastical issues, mm-hmm. even who Jesus is. That's correct. Apart from the church, there's the trajectory. And so mm-hmm. if we are to hear Jesus, we've got to hear him in the context that he gave us. Now, Father Paul, push us the next step. In other words, hearing them and doing them. Talk about that. Well, hmm. the way I would go on that, hearing and doing is the way we begin to create habits. Uh, We hear and we do, and that then allows us to practice things, and we begin to develop the habits of holiness. Those are called virtues. Mm -hmm. Once something becomes a habit, either a vice, which is a bad habit, or a virtue, which is a good habit, they become powers in the person, either for good or for evil. Uh, And therefore, I think the words you just used are guidelines for us for how to chart out our lives to develop good habits. Let me comment on one of the sacraments. Um, Mm -hmm. Our bishop has really been encouraging us to encourage people to practice the sacrament of reconciliation oh every month or two so that we have a bit more intense spiritual life where we are forming our conscience examining our conscience of feeling sorry for what we've done wrong then going to the priest and confessing our sin but also receiving a penance and at least for me the way i understand penance it should involve something that helps us to deal with correcting the bad habit or the bad behavior that we have, uh, in a real sense, hearing and doing, when put in the context of the sacrament of penance, becomes an incredibly powerful tool for changing, improving, and making our lives more holy. So 
number one, it works much better in this world when we're doing it God's way, because God is really smart. And number two, it prepares us for heaven. Paul, I'm going to take a break. and uh, But before that, I want to introduce another verse into this puzzle. Because we, we focus on hearing Jesus and, and making sure we're truly hearing him. Not ourselves, as you mm-hmm. said, right? Yep. Or, or, or the culture. Um, or our, just our view of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And then doing it. I want to make sure our audience doesn't understand that as Catholics, we're, we're works righteousness folk. Because we truly recognize that it's grace. So I want to read John 15, verse 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me. And let me say that hearing and doing to me together mean what he means abiding. Yes. Okay. In other words, remaining in Jesus involves hearing and doing. Abides in me and I in him and he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's talk about that when we get back after the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Father Paul Key, and you're hearing this on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined this afternoon by Father Paul Key. We're looking at Matthew chapter 7, this idea of of making sure that when that great day comes and we stand before our Lord, that we know him. And he's emphasized in the words of, of Christ, this need to hear Jesus, truly hear him and do it, which can be summarized in this word abiding, remaining, continuing in Christ that we see in John 15. And uh, Father Paul, let me read this verse again for the audience and then let you reflect on. This is five and I'm going to include six. When Jesus said, he who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And that brings us into the parallel of that passage in Matthew. Talk about the necessity of this connection we have with Jesus. Well, when you talk about the necessity, it's like the necessity of being saved. And why do we need to be saved? It's because we're defective. Yeah. Uh, we suffer from original sin. And I'd like to make the par- I think you're making a really good connection between uh, hearing and doing, uh, being basically the same thing as abiding in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The key time when we abide in Jesus is in the Mass. Mm-hmm. What are the two major parts of the Mass? the liturgy of the Word, and the liturgy of the sacrament. Yeah. And I would submit to you that that corresponds to the two 
major effects of original sin, which is the darkening of the mind and the weakening of the will. And therefore, I would, and this, of course, it fits together then with the third commandment, where we're commanded to worship God, to to really be able to hear and to do rightly, I would submit we must be regular in Mass, if not daily Mass, regular Mass, and certainly absolutely required weekly Mass, in which we hear the Word of God within that liturgical context, which interestingly enough is preceded by a time of confession, of becoming honest with ourselves and God, which would give us the best opportunity of, of hearing clearly. And then the participation in the Eucharist and receiving communion, by which we receive the supernatural help to help our wills do what we know we need to do. And I think of St. Paul in Romans 7:15 through 25, when he talks about how he knows what's right but cannot do it, and the solution is to submit himself to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would submit to our audience that the best way to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit is through a knowledgeable, spiritual, submissive participation in every single aspect of the Holy Mass. This, uh, let me throw another verse in here. Paul, this is great stuff. I'm at lo- I wish you and I had about five hours to talk about this. Well, <laughs> let me throw another verse in from my favorite book of the New Testament, First John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, and by this we may be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments. Mm -hmm. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly love for God is perfected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here he talks about how we know him. Well, that's right. And as I understand and remember from my studies of St. John, uh, John does not use the language so much of belief, but the language of love. And you have identified one of about ten passages in John where John records Jesus as saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that was another one of the things that in my frustration, if you will, as an evangelical, I looked at those words and I said, if I have to be worried about works righteousness, how does this make sense? Because in the, in the Johannine literature, if we're going to love God, we must love our neighbor and we must keep the commandments. That makes perfect sense to me in the sense of the parable of the talents. Because we receive the grace of God, we receive the power of God, Having that power, we must use it to follow him and keep the commandments and to do his will. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, just let me comment really quick. You and I have gone the whole cycle through the Gospels, through St. Paul, and through John. And we can see how, to me, this is just absolutely consistent. Having that relationship to Jesus, receiving the grace of God, needing to respond, and then that response in faith allows us to grow more. This is one of the reasons I'm so excited about being a Catholic and a Catholic priest, because to me this just makes a wonderful, beautiful, harmonized way of life. You know, uh, Father Paul, I wanted to read you an email that I just got that's pretty Mm -hmm. neat. 
came from mm-hmm. my father, Michael. And he says, so wonderful to hear Father Paul. He says, I went 30 years to orthodoxy and just returned with wife and four sons serving in an Eastern Rite. Thank wow. God for his holy Catholic Church and his infinite mercy, mm. Father Michael. Wow. I mean, there's just an affirmation of someone listening that affirms also your mm-hmm. call to priesthood, mm-hmm. uh, Father Paul. You know, this uh, this verse in, in 1 John has... Uh, always struck me because you know if, let's say our audience is sitting there when how do i know that i know that i know right God? how do i know and it seems to me that first john is saying if you look at your life and see that you've been changed mm-hmm. then you know you've been touched by the lord jesus and that's really the catholic answer to how do i know although we can never finally finally say i know i've been saved if we're looking for assurances yeah that would be a, a really good response. If we see in our lives that pattern of response, obedience, and love, uh, like you look at like somebody like Mother Teresa. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, I am, I am guided by the canon law in a funeral. I cannot say of anybody for sure that they are either in heaven or hell mm-hmm. because we don't know the internal spiritual workings of any individual. But externally you can certainly see that through what we do in that passage you just quoted. What was that, First uh, John? First John 2, verse 3. Verse 3, yeah. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's like seeing the results in our lives. If we love, doesn't mean we're perfect. That's right. If we, it doesn't mean you like someone necessarily, mm-hmm. but if you are working through mm-hmm. issues, I mean, Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. ministering to the poorest of the poor, mm-hmm. was not because she just felt in her gut she liked them, but because she knew she was to be Jesus to them. She was called. That's right. Father Paul, that music means we've run to the end, yep. which is sad because it is so great to talk to you and to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. You've added to my notes and my insight here, and I really appreciate the dialogue. (laughs) Thank you, Father Paul. Talk to you again soon. We've got to do it. And all of you joining us on this program, thank you so much. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and I hope this has been an encouragement to you to look at your life through the eyes of Jesus. Have you changed by his grace? Are you living out your faith? Paul called it, the Saint Paul called it, the obedience of faith. It's not mere mere mental knowledge, but it's hearing Jesus through the body he gave us, the church, and then living it out by grace in obedience to him. In other words, being a channel of his love, actually a reservoir. As you're filled with his love, you overflow. God bless you. See you again next week.